Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Beyond Sleep Training Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing real tales of how people have managed sleep in their family outside of sleep training culture. Because sleep looks different with a baby in the house. And because every family is different, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to take. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, the Kalkadoon people. I pay my respects to the elders of this nation and the many other nations our guests reside in from the past, present and emerging. We honour Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the unique cultural and spiritual relationships to the land, water and seas, as well as their rich contributions to society, including the birthing and nurturing of children. I'm your host, Carly Grubb. I'm the founder of the Beyond Sleep Training Project and the founder and managing director of the Australian-based charity Little Sparklers. In this episode, I will share with you the first of two parts of my story of moving beyond sleep training. In this episode, you will hear the raw and sometimes heartbreaking experience that firstly broke me and then began to reshape me with my first baby. It is this tale that would ultimately become the catalyst behind me firstly creating the Beyond Sleep Training Project in 2017 and then in 2019 registering our charity Little Sparklers to allow us to organise ourselves even more and build on the huge momentum we had going as we tapped into a very real need in the community for families to have options to explore Beyond Sleep Training. This episode comes with a trigger warning for anyone who does not feel up to hearing a very detailed account of our sleep training experience. It's a hard listen and I found it incredibly emotionally exhausting to recount, but I truly believe that by opening up and sharing what happened, it will help you better understand where I come from, where Little Sparklers and the Beyond Sleep Training Project come from, 
and why this podcast is such an important resource and space for families now and into the future. So who am I? I'm an Australian mother of three children. I live in a small outback town with my husband, young family, a big hairy dog and three chooks. Pre-kids, I was a primary school teacher. I'd worked at a range of schools and year levels, but I love nothing more than helping very young children develop their love of reading and reading skills. I was lucky enough to teach in the very unique and iconic School of the Air, which is a distance education facility predominantly for children living on remote cattle stations. I really love my job and, and though I was in the privileged position to be able to choose to take extended leave while my babies were tiny, I had every intention of returning to my role once we were ready. But that's not how things turned out. And I guess this is the beginning of the story of why. So in 2014, after an extremely quick labour, um, we welcomed my first baby, my little sparkler. Yes, that's where we get our name from. And my life was turned completely upside down. I know that most families undergo a pretty monumental shift when they welcome their first child. But for many, the tr transition seems to come in waves. For me, the shift felt like an, an endless tsunami. I felt sure I was going to drown. My precious baby was like none I'd ever met before, and his intensity is hard to adequately describe in words. He seemed to be genuinely terrified of the world. He was tense, highly alert, loud, unsettled, and extremely engaging. He was captivating and all-consuming. He could not be put down. He never whimpered, he wailed, and he never settled after a moment and instead would hit full-blown hysteria in about five seconds flat. He was the classic zero to 100 baby. And he was beautiful. The most stunning sparkly blue eyes, the cheekiest of grins, an infectious chuckle. And you could see his clever little mind churning away as he took the world in. But that busy little brain barely ever gave him any rest. And his sensitive little system saw all the world in technicolour and it terrified the life out of him. And then there was me. <laughs> the process of labour, birth and immediate postpartum had me on the rails. I needed time to make sense of it all and get to know this new me that, and all that I managed to do and all that was before me. But I was swallowed whole by this baby. I had no idea what to do with him. I really thought that for all that a baby needed, that there must have been some time to catch a break. Like surely the human race would have died out if babies didn't have some time where they just did their own thing or, I don't know, slept or something. But he just wasn't like that. And, and so I started to drown. I hadn't heard of the fourth trimester. I had no idea about baby wearing. The only thing I knew about co-sleeping was that it was dangerous and taking our baby to bed could kill him. I knew other babies slept in their cot. I'd seen other babies happily cooing away when they were down on the mat. I'd seen my own friend's baby fall happily to sleep in her pram after her mum had pressed her dummy into her mouth. Easy as that. I started to wonder if I was doing something wrong. Why was my baby so unsettled? Why did my baby need so much help to fall asleep? Was it because I always picked him up when he cried? that he wouldn't go down on his mat? The doubts crept in, and at the same time, the advice started to seep in too. I started to hear a lot of, have you been trying to put him down, drowsy, but awake? You need to try a feet play sleep routine. Maybe just pat his back when he wakes instead of picking him up. 
Have you just waited for five minutes when he cries to see if he can put himself back to sleep? All of this and more. And it fed the beast growing in my mind that the way my baby behaved was because I was doing things wrong or I was failing in some way. And also sadly, the notion that he wasn't a good baby. I started to track everything, feeding, sleeping and nappies, and I became obsessed with finding a pattern or solution to get us on track. And with my obsessive tracking came mounting confusion, anxiety and frustration with my baby. While I seemed to be watching him so very closely, I was simultaneously becoming more and more distant from him. I stopped trusting what he told me he needed and started to rely on outside advice and rules to dictate what I would do for him and when. In hindsight, so much of this part of my story is weighted in my own lack of self-confidence and trust in myself. But it still pains me most to recognise how much I ignored my baby's genuine communication at this time. He still trusted me even when I doubted him so much. I was always doing my very best though, and I will always give myself credit for that. Every single thing I did through this time with my baby was done with heart and soul and with the one aim of getting everything right for him. I adored him, even if I didn't think I could mother him well enough. And then came one of the defining moments in my life so far. A five-day stay in a mother-baby unit, otherwise known as sleep school, in our capital city. More than 2,000 kilometres from home. I accepted our admission after we'd been to my baby's four-month health check, where after describing my baby's wakeful, unsettled behaviour, the nurse told me that he was chronically sleep-deprived and it would be affecting his brain development. I knew we were struggling, but hearing that he was actually being harmed physically or developmentally due to my inability to get him to sleep was just too much. And so we went for our stay. In the lead up, I tried to implement the strategies I'd watched on the website without any success and much distress for my baby and me. I grew ever more frustrated and intolerant of him as I became even more convinced that he was just being difficult and that he had to learn to sleep so we could all go back to being happy. Now, this is where the trigger warning comes in as I'm about to detail my sleep training experience. If you're not up for it today, you might like to either fast forward through this section or join us for the next episode. I went into the program with a desperate hope. This had to work. I couldn't for a moment consider that it wouldn't because I couldn't fathom what life would be like if this didn't work. My enthusiasm was there, but I had a dull ache in my heart the whole time leading up to the stay that remained throughout. I never wanted to listen to my baby cry. Why, why couldn't my sweet baby just find sleep like all the other babies? I didn't know what to do with him, but I couldn't allow his lack of sleep to impact on him anymore. No, I was stronger than that. And I would do whatever I needed to meet my baby's needs. And if that meant having strangers keep me in check so I didn't give in too easily, then that's what I would do. And so the stage was set. We started off with a meet and greet circle time and we had to tell each other why we were there and I could barely hold my head up as I confessed my child's sleep sins and my role in his bad habits. There were sympathetic head tilts, a knowing look in the eye, a shoulder rub and a word of, it'll be okay, we can help offered up. Then came the slideshow that detailed the game plan. My four and a half month old was deemed too old for the comfort settling hands-on settling group 
which was for the two newborns present. We were instead with the older responsive settling group. We started when it was time for his afternoon sleep. We had to implement a feed play sleep routine and so I had to feed my baby and make sure he didn't fall asleep, then read him a story, kiss him and tell him it was sleep time, place him in his cot, walk out and close the door. Then I was to wait by the door to see what, if any, response my baby would require to find sleep. The nurses had zero interest in hearing what I thought he needed or even what I thought might happen next. It was assumed I'd never afforded my baby the opportunity or space to try and settle himself before and therefore we needed to just wait and see as I might be pleasantly surprised. Pleasant it was not. Initially my trusting baby just kicked his legs around and chatted, no doubt feeling safe in the knowledge that mama would reappear soon. But she didn't. He then started sounding worried. If he could talk back then, I'd say the sounds would roughly translate to, Mama, I'm getting worried. Where are you? I need you. Where are you? I knew this, but I wasn't allowed in. This was just him grizzling because he was getting ready to go to sleep, apparently. He then ramped it up. I explained that this only ever went one way and it most certainly wasn't headed towards sleep. And if anything, it was driving him even further from it. The nurse assured me he was okay and suggested I move to the base level response while we stayed at the door. We opened the door and shushed loudly at him to let him know I was there, but it was sleep time and he wouldn't get picked up. My baby wailed on. I told them it wasn't working and they told me to persist a bit longer. He continued to cry. When it, We then crawled into the room so as not to give him the false impression we would pick him up and I patted the mattress next to his head and continued to shush loudly. No eye contact was to be made. He cried even more. I was then encouraged to place my hand on his chest and continue to shush him. He was past hysterical by now. The nurse told me then that I could pick him up to calm him down as we had to respond to this level of distress as it wasn't good for him. I scooped him up and soothed my sweating hysterical baby But as if that wasn't enough, once he was calm, down he had to go again. He immediately howled. I placed my hand on his chest and shushed, but my heart could take no more. This is one of the key moments I look back on with great shame. I could take no more, so I fled. I ran from that room without my baby and sat in the hall and rocked in a ball, crying my heart out. The nurse had picked my baby up at this point and she rocked him off to sleep as it was decided that this was enough for that settle. I should have run with my baby, not away from him. But I guess this is a testament to how crushed I was. Once asleep, she came out to find me to assure me that we could try again next time and I'd be surprised at how quickly he'd learn. And so a few hours later, we did it all again and it went almost exactly the same way. The only difference was that there wasn't that momentary calm at the start. My clever little man knew what was going on and was crying before I could even walk to the door. Door shushing, floor shushing, mattress padding shushing, chest rocking shushing, calming hysteria shushing, place back down shushing, hysteria, me running, nurse rocking. This second time one of the nurses came to me to give me what she no doubt thought was a pep talk and asked me if I was going to be stronger than my baby or not. I told her to sort off and get away from me. 
again a few hours later for bedtime. My mum came to visit the next morning and was upset by what she could see. She told me my baby looked pale and exhausted and asked what was going on. I told her and she told me that I either spoke up to the nurses and told them this wasn't working and we needed a new tack or we'd be leaving. I was a mess. The morning settle was the same, so after lunch I started packing our bags. A nurse saw and came to ask me what I'd hoped to get from the stay. I told her I needed help, but I didn't feel like there was that we were getting anywhere and no one seemed to have any better ideas to help my baby as their way still ended with hysteria and rocking in arms, which was no better than I was doing at home anyway. She asked me what I thought I would what, what I thought would work, and I told her that if I could at least go to him before he was so upset, I may be able to keep him calm enough to find sleep. She agreed to support me on the next settle, and miracle of miracles, it worked. I was elated. It continued to work my version of their way for the next few days. But the nights continued to be a challenge as they wanted me to try to resettle before offering a night fee. But I needed their help with this because the instant he had me, he wanted the boobs. And my husband was a two and a half hour flight away. The nurse was happy to help. But just as they showed no faith in what I told them about my baby by day, they showed no interest in hearing my belief that being prompt was essential because if you allowed him to wake right up, the settle could take hours versus the minutes if he was still drowsy. So I'd hear him stir and knowing my baby, I knew this meant only one thing. He was waking and would not return to sleep without help. So I'd go to the nurse's station and alert her to his waking and ask for her help to attempt to resettle. She'd deliberately go slow saying I need to not rush to his side and he needs to try to resettle himself first. And at 2am in the morning, I'd say, we talked about this during the day and this does not work for my baby. Please come now or we'll be awake for hours. Feet dragging, teeth pulling, sloth slow movements. Before we started the ridiculous shushing at the door routine responses and then rocking a hysterical baby who was now wide awake and had to have a breastfeed to find any form of calm. At least an hour later, I'd finally crawl back to bed only for him to wake an hour or so later and rinse and repeat. It was horrific. The next day in daylight hours, I would reiterate the need for prompt response and I'd be firstly reminded that the goal was to get my baby self-soothing and that affording him space was essential. I'd then try to explain the huge difference in awake time because of this and they assured me that this was short-term pain and extra loss of sleep would have a long-term payoff that would be worthwhile. I agreed to stick with it. He was sleeping for a longer block at the start of the night, so I felt that maybe they were onto something and I owed the effort to try and make it work. So after five days, my baby was sleeping in his cot, settling to sleep without much help and having a longer block at the start of the night. I left feeling like the wheels of positive change were in motion and I felt positive that with continued commitment, we would have him sleeping well in no time. It wasn't to be. My husband and I threw ourselves at the technique with 300% commitment to being consistent and persistent, bordering on lunacy. Our baby, however, held an even greater faith in us and belief in his own needs, and he continued to fight and call and demand our presence with an intensity that was even more than before. Within a week of returning home, despite adhering to every responsive settling rule, we were up to two-hour battles for every nap, every bedtime and every resettle through the night. 
was horrific. We were all exhausted, frustrated, and incredibly at odds with each other. We were responding, damn it. We responded to every cry, every whimper. Well, the whimpers that sounded emotional anyway. He really thought he couldn't possibly need us. He just wanted us and it was ridiculous. Why did he need more from us than they said we should have to give? Why? Why wasn't he learning? Why wouldn't he just let up? On the other hand, our poor baby was no doubt deeply confused about why these people who he loved and needed so completely seemed to be so hell-bent on pretending like they couldn't respond the way he truly needed them. Why do they keep standing at the door or tapping my mattress when I know I need a cuddle? Why are they taking so long to let me nurse when all I need is a quick minute and we could all go back to sleep and get the sleep we need? Responsive settling gives the illusion of response. Being told how to respond, when to respond and when to withdraw that responsiveness is not being responsive. It's the equivalent of when someone is talking to us and we're busy or can't really hear, so we just smile or nod or say something like, that's nice, dear. It allows the adult to feel like they're doing something and therefore they're being gentle while they train their baby. It's a disturbing mismatch that plays a significant role in, in the justification and vindication of the widespread use of these techniques in public and private facilities in Australia and by consultants around the world. And this is not a problem that's left in 2014. As much as I wish things had changed between now and 2021 and back then, they haven't. We hear stories like this all the time in the group. I am not an isolated case. I desperately needed help. There's an overwhelming need for help for, for new mothers, particularly those with mental health challenges and those with very wakeful babies. The aftermath of my stay was perhaps worse than the stay itself. The key message of be consistent and persistent and it will work was incredibly damaging to our family unit. We were so utterly desperate. We truly believed we had to keep going and make this work. No one told us otherwise. The follow-up care from the facility was woeful. I rang a week after discharge an absolute mess and was greeted very unhappily because they weren't staffed for the phone call and I would receive my two-week follow-up call the following week. I was in tears and on the verge of a breakdown and all I got asked was who was going to be stronger, me or my baby. The scheduled call the next week was at least slightly more compassionate but the nurse did not have any further suggestions for what we could try or consider and instead she reiterated that we needed to be consistent and persistent. Three more weeks we continued. 21 long days and nights following what we'd already been through and I cannot believe we kept going. But what it goes to show was just how lost and broken I was. If not this, then what? I completely lost my ability to follow my heart and my baby. It all ended with me hitting rock bottom. I was so done. My baby, well, he was crying in his cot while I rocked in the ball in the lounge on a call to my husband to tell him I couldn't do this anymore and they needed to find him a new mother because I couldn't be it anymore. He was really distressed, he couldn't make it straight home and I felt like such a danger to myself and my baby that I threw him in the pram so I wasn't touching him and walked around the corner to a friend's house and handed him over so I knew he was safe. I went and sought help from my GP who diagnosed me with postnatal depression and I started therapy. By stroke of sheer luck, coincidence, intervention, whatever you want to call it, 
a midwife from a free check-in service I've been speaking to throughout my pregnancy and postpartum called to see how I was. It was her, the wonderful Kirsty, who broke through the wall I built between myself, my heart and my baby. After listening to all that we've been through in the last two months, she calmly said to me, you know you don't have to do it all, don't you? You can just do what he wants you to do. What do you think he needs you to do? And through my tears, I said with perfect certainty, he just wants me to hold him and feed him. And she answered, so just do it. Just do that. And as ridiculous as it sounds now, I needed her permission to do that. I needed to hear that it was okay just to cuddle my baby and feed him whenever he wanted. And with that conversation, something in me shifted. I suddenly saw possibilities again when before I saw nothing but darkness. It was an incredibly long, hard road I walked after that. None of it was easy. It's hard to describe the experience of parenting a baby like this to anyone who hasn't been through it. It's not just a rough patch. It's not just waking frequently as in every two to three hours. No, this baby of mine literally woke every 20 minutes to an hour every night for the first 12 months of his life. Even when he slept a bit longer, he never slept for more than two hours at a time until he was over two years of age. This isn't like the wakeful waves I've experienced with my next two babies, where times would grow intense, but there was always a calm between each storm. There simply was no break in his pattern of extreme wakefulness. And so while surrendering to his needs was absolutely the start of our journey of healing and finding our way to wellness and connection again when sleep training completely broke us, I really hope people listening along can hear that there never really was a magical answer to our story. And it was made even harder because none of the professionals I sought out to help me seemed to have any practical tools in their repertoire outside of sleep training. They were genuinely perplexed by my refusal to partake in any further sleep training techniques and saw this non-compliance or unwillingness to engage in this side of my treatment as a roadblock to getting better, which was incredibly unfair. I can see now that this wasn't a weakness on my part. They simply did not have the skills knowledge or experience to know what else they could do to support me but at the time I felt so unsafe in their care when they seemed so unable to understand where I was coming from but I was still broken I desperately needed help and once I realized I couldn't really depend on anyone else to get me back to happy whatever that was I was determined that I would not spend my baby's entire babyhood hating life with him and so I started to work out my own way to reimagine my life. Now I looked for different ideas for how I could approach life with my baby. I couldn't make him sleep, so what could I do to get the best sleep I could get, even if it wasn't the quantity of sleep I wanted or the way I would normally wish to get it? It was around this time that I got right into all things Pinky McKay, The Milk Meg, Sarah Ockwell-Smith and Dr. Tracy Cassells of Evolutionary Parenting. And in many ways, these trailblazing women saved me. It was through them that I learned how to safely share sleep with my baby and I discovered the magic superpower of breastfeeding to sleep. And though I really struggled to get the hang of sideline nursing with my baby, we figured out our own little trick to make it happen. And the first night we spent sleeping together on our spare bed was hands down the best relief I've ever felt. It was far from perfect, comfortable sleep. But after the sheer torture of being up and down every 20 to 40 minutes for six months, simply laying down all night felt like heaven for my weary body. 
Aside from the physical relief of learning to share sleep, these wise women provided me with a profound shift in the way I saw my work as a mother. Suddenly I could see value in the nurturing work I performed day and night with my baby, and it wasn't the act of a martyr. They taught me that I could trust my baby to communicate his needs, and I could trust me and my heart to know how to respond. I no longer saw myself as weak for needing to answer my baby's cries because the sound of it sent my anxiety through the roof. I no longer felt an urgency to put my sleeping baby down lest he learn to sleep in my arms. Instead, contact naps naps became a call for rest for me too. And it all added up. I started to grow into my role and though there were plenty of times where the doubts would take hold and the exhaustion would start to eat at my fragile confidence, I no longer felt backed into a corner. Unbelievably, I fell pregnant with my second baby when Mr Sparkler was only 10 months old. Apparently breastfeeding around the clock, being depleted, barely having five minutes to ourselves and me on the mini pill wasn't enough to prevent pregnancy. Who knew? I took the news terribly. I was nowhere near ready to have a second baby, not while my first baby still needed me so intensely. It was impossible to wrap my head around. It was not until the second trimester that I really came to grips that there really was going to be another baby. And I still struggled to tell anyone I was expecting without bursting into floods of tears. How the hell was I going to manage two babies? I was gripped by nursing aversions by the time I was about 12 weeks pregnant and decided to get some help to night wean my then 15-month-old as they were becoming unbearable. I night weaned him pretty rapidly and though I believed it was gentle at the time, it really was very distressing for my baby. Hindsight's so wise though, isn't it? I refused to give myself a hard time about it though as I know without a doubt that I did the best I could at the time with the knowledge and support I had available and that will be always enough even if it's not perfect. Weaning actually helped me a lot. I needed a break from nursing to get my head ready for this second baby. But it wasn't the magic sleep elixir you sometimes hear about in people's sleep advice. My little sparkler continued waking every one to, one to two hours, needing a cuddle, his dummy, or a sip of water, right through the pregnancy and up until his brother was about four months old. And that's where I'm going to leave the first part of the story because part two takes in the next chapter in our grubby family as we welcomed our second and third bundles to the fold and we got to experience a new round of parenting and challenges and also features the birth of the Beyond Sleep Training Project and Little Sparklers. If this episode brought up any issues for you that you, you feel you need some help with, please don't hesitate to speak to someone that you trust. Or if in Australia, place a free call to either the Beyond Blue helpline on 1300 224 636 or Lifeline on 13-1114. They have trained counsellors on the line to support you, whether it's during the day or in the depths of the night. And I'll finish the show by giving you my tip of the week. This week's tip is sideline nursing. Figuring that out, oh, it wasn't easy, but once we figured it out, each of my babies, we had a slightly different way of doing it but it was one of my favourite ways to get me my best rest alongside them, particularly when they were going through some intense development and sleep was in short supply. To learn more about sideline nursing, you might like to check out our Breastfeeding and Sleep on the Little Sparklers website, and I'll be sure to drop a link into our show notes to make it super easy to find. I'd love to hear in comments as well if you have utilised sideline nursing um, and if it's been a helpful skill in your experience. 
Thank you so much for listening and until next time, thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. The information we discussed was just that, information only. It is not specific advice. If you take any action following something you've heard from our show today, it is important to make sure you get professional advice about your unique situation before you proceed, whether that advice be legal, financial, accounting, medical, or any other advice. Please reach out to me if you do have any questions or if there's a topic you'd really like us to be covering. And if you know somebody who'd really benefit from listening to our podcast, please be sure to pass our name along. Also check out our free peer support group, the Beyond Sleep Training Project and our wonderful website, www.littlesparklers.org. If you'd like even more from the show, you can join us as a patron on Patreon and you can find a link for that in our show notes. If listening is not really your jam, we also make sure we put full episode transcripts on our Little Sparklers website for you to also enjoy and fully captioned YouTube videos as well on our Little Sparklers channel. So thanks again for listening today. We really enjoy bringing this podcast to you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.